Hello, Team NXT, and yes, it has been far too long. CD, Danny Mac here, bringing you episode 109 of the Undisputed Future Podcast, the UFP show, all about the NXT show, the longest-running independently produced NXT podcast available, and yes, even amongst a quarantine-driven hiatus, Sad to say, not the first of hiatuses I have taken from this show. Hiatuses, that's that's a tricky word. Um, but I'm back. I'm back. Kind of got a uh, kind of got a handle on adjusting to the way of the world at this time. I hope all of you are staying safe and staying inside. I don't care how, when, or why you're listening to this show, but as long as you are doing it in the safety of your home or in a comfortable outdoor space, at least six feet away from the people next to you, walking your dog, going for a drive, however you're out and about, or you're you're at home, you're working from home like me, and you need some background noise, and you want to throw on a wrestling podcast, I know that's where my heart is always at, and boy, do I have a good wrestling podcast for you to put on this evening, morning, or afternoon, because Peyton Wessner of NXT Wednesday, next stop is joining me in just a matter of moments. We will be discussing together the April 8th edition of NXT. Of course, headlined by the hearts colliding, the black heart versus the rebel heart for one final beat, Johnny Gargano versus Tommaso Ciampa in a cinematic main event. Now, I know many weeks of NXT television have come and gone since I last spoke to you guys, but this was kind of up in the air because of the state of WrestleMania and TakeOver Tampa and making sure that, you know, everything just kind of falls into place and we have a streamline of what to discuss in regards to NXT. Now, at first hearing NXT TakeOver Tampa Bay was canceled, heart absolutely broken, but within absolute understanding because of what is going on. COVID-19, no joke. While you're at it, please be washing your hands, everybody, before you touch your devices and whatever. Make sure you're washing your hands, keeping that Purell on deck, and hopefully not getting scammed by too many price gougers of these important products. But TakeOver Tampa Bay gets canceled. What do we do now? We get some midweek TakeOver action in conjunction with building some current storylines and characters within NXT. So there was a lot to adapt to and a lot to take in and so much on what is going on in the world of not just sports but pro wrestling as well. The fact that we still have pro wrestling to watch, it's a mixed feeling in my book because I do want all of the wrestlers to be safe and indoors and comfortable and not have to worry about getting sick. WrestleMania was still on, the most unique WrestleMania of all time. I still enjoyed it. I put together an Xbox Live party chat. I was able to host an annual WrestleMania party despite these strange circumstances. So what pro wrestling we have gotten, I am appreciative of. But it's hard not to think of the humans behind these characters and how they should be secure and safe of mind and their families should be sure of mind that they're home and they're safe and they're not exposing themselves to anything that they shouldn't be. And that's kind of hard to deal with when you... uh, when you work where you work, but nevertheless, appreciate everything that WWE's Raw, SmackDown, NXT, and even AEW Dynamite even given credit over enemy lines because pro wrestling is very important escape for myself personally, and I'm sure many of you out there listening. But enough with discussing the downtrodden stuff. I want to just give a little bit of a uh, 
of a synopsis on the April 1st, 2020 edition of NXT before I call up the boy Peyton over Skype. Jumping into things, we've had the R-E-T-U-R-N of the D-R-E-A-M, the Velveteen Dream with a lot of animosity towards the Undisputed Era as of late, beginning with the psychological warfare on Roderick Strong for Marina Shafir and Troy Boy. Velveteen Dream trying to perceive himself as the daddy that Roderick Strong couldn't be. Little did we all know this would be a factor in getting his hands and getting himself closer to Adam Cole, baby, and that NXT championship. So Bobby Fish stepping up as a true brethren of the Dude Crew Undisputed Era steps up and takes on Velveteen Dream. Very competitive matchup. Bobby Fish in absolute I want to say in-ring veteran, but it spans so much beyond that. A combat sports veteran is Bobby Fish. The breakdown of a body parts and the use of submission stylings. You can't get much better than himself and Kyle O'Reilly of Undisputed Era. So Bobby Fish showing Velveteen Dream the ropes literally and figuratively in the world of combat sports. Remember the age difference in this matchup. Velveteen Dream is still a kid in comparison to Bobby Fish. Not trying to make any ageism jokes here, but it is what it is. Bobby Fish is kind of the dad of the Undisputed Era, if we're looking at all things compared. Velveteen Dream, though, the young up-and-comer, the promising rising star of this brand, is successful over Bobby Fish of the Undisputed Era. Big-time purple rainmaker would seal the end. Dream Valley Driver. I apologize. Uh, the See, what happened here, folks, was my old phone was broken on the Tuesday, right before April 1st of edition of NXT. So I'm going completely based on pretty much memory and staring at a match card that I typed up based on what I remembered from last week. Velveteen Dream with a victory nonetheless and proving himself further up the lines, knocking off members of the Undisputed Era. All things considering, Velveteen Dream will have a match with each of the three, probably facing off with Roderick Strong again right before he gets to Adam Cole and that NXT Championship shot. But the thing about this modified takeover schedule is we did not get to see, at least this past week, April 8th of NXT television, we did not get to see the Dream versus Adam Cole. The NXT Championship match has not been discussed as far as being on TV goes. It's been discussed. Dream lives in the minds of each member of the Undisputed Era as it stands right now. Adam Cole cutting beautiful promos, promos that are as beautiful as the setting he is in, addressing the Dream and his intentions to take away the NXT Championship from our now longest reigning NXT Champion ever in Adam Cole. Does the gold stay with the Undisputed Era? Can the last piece of the prophecy be preserved? That's my major question coming out of all of this. If there's any one promising contender, though, it is the Velveteen Dream. And I think Adam Cole should watch that NXT Championship. And I think the boys in the Undisputed Era better keep their head on the swivel. Because Dream is not only set on the NXT Championship... He's set on revenge. Remember the backstage attack that cost Dream months due to a lower back injury. The Dream has his eyes set on the Undisputed Era. Will this war continue? And to what... Well, we know the war will continue. I'm not asking that. To what capacity and to what wavelengths 
Will the Velveteen Dream be able to surf all over the Undisputed Era? Moving onward, we did have a re-debut of sorts from the breakout tournament, Dexter Loomis. The serial killer-inspired name from the TV show with the twisted Dr. Last name. I love the Dexter Loomis character based on those two things alone. But the icy cold stare and the cruelly delivered offense is really what sells me on Dexter Loomis at this time. And you didn't have to ask his opponent much more past this. Jake Atlas, Jake Atlas, a touted about talent, a name I've seen pop up here and there, whether it be on the Twitter, you might like, or these people follow sort of context. But Jake Atlas, a name I am familiar with, and a new signing to the most recent class of the Performance Center. Atlas had his hands full with Dexter Loomis, Dexter Loomis putting away Atlas with that very similar triangle chokehold that Jake Hager's been using over on Dynamite. Hager's ended that in a standing fashion, but Loomis able to lock it in on the grounds. I at first thought that he would be, uh, he would be finishing up for, uh, with an anaconda vice. Excuse me. Sorry. I just got a message from uh, my incoming co-host a little few minutes after eight. Totally cool. Sounds good by me. I want to cover this April 1st edition before I get him on the horn anyway. Dexter Loomis picks up his W on his re-debut and rebirth on NXT TV. We had our second chance gauntlet match for the opportunity in April 8th's Money in the Bank number one contendership ladder match for the women's title as we now know who will be taking on Charlotte Flair. That we did not know at this time. Really thought Rhea Ripley would uh, would have a chance at WrestleMania. And I'll go into WrestleMania, the NXT Women's Championship match, and probably even a little bit of Becky versus Shayna as well once I, uh, once I get Mr. Wessner on the horn here. But second chance gauntlet. I loved what it did for Shotzi Blackheart. Shotzi going the distance from the first one out, making her way through some really formidable opponents. To sail all the way to the end and face off with Dakota Kai. But Dakota Kai has that assurance, insurance policy, known as Reyna Gonzalez. Reyna is an absolute force and a presence at ringside. And the involvement is never without consequence for Dakota Kai's opponents. And we saw that here. Dakota Kai able to advance to the six-woman ladder match on this past week's edition of NXT, where they would collide, and fight for a shot at Charlotte Flair and that NXT Women's Championship, even sporting a briefcase in the process, which even contributed to the Money in the Bank vibes even more. How cool it would have been to have a Money in the Bank ladder match the weekend of WrestleMania again. Remember back in the day when Money in the Bank wasn't its own pay-per-view and had its own match at WrestleMania? I did. That would have been nice to see. But safety first, we still got it within the week of WrestleMania. You don't listen to the show to hear people complain. That's not the product I'm known for putting out. I'm going to look at this glass half full and say Shotzi Blackheart earns a whole hell of a lot from this matchup, proving herself as an in-ring competitor. Dakota Kai continuing her path of deception with the destruction of Reina Gonzalez at ringside, and Dakota Kai would snake her way into this Number one contender, women's ladder match. But will she succeed? We'll find out and discuss in just a little bit 
later. Uh, breezing over another match, we had Kushida, who was on one hell of a winning streak since returning from his injury. An injury sustained from being in the ring with none other than the UK champion, Walter, the leader of Imperium, who will be another discussion point based off this past week of NXT television. Kushida will be taking on Joaquin Wilde. Listen, team, I'm not an EDM guy. I'm a pop-punk kid. I'm a 90s kid. I'm still listening to Blink-182 and Newfound Glory and so on and so forth and all of the bands that were popular in 2002 moving forward and all of the bands who were inspired by those bands that got popular in 2002. My music requires lyrics, primarily lyrics about hating this town and not being over the girl that you want and just going out drinking or getting pizza and smoking up with your boys. EDM, not my style, not my fashion style, not my, uh, not my population. I'm sure they're all very nice people, just not anything that I can have common ground with, which is kind of my personal separation with the Joaquin Wilde character. The DJ look, the DJ horn, the helmets that at first looked like some sort of alien meets predator seems to be, uh, I wouldn't say downgraded, but down, downscaled at the very least to a smaller model on the top of his head. And uh, Joaquin Wilde put up one hell of a fight against Kushida, but Kushida is a technical master and can lock you in any submission with any armbar from virtually out of nowhere. And Joaquin Wilde will find that out firsthand. Wilde suffering a loss and Kushida... His winning ways do continue on NXT TV. Now, I'll get on this topic a little bit too because it was there was reference this week on NXT. But what is with the masked conquistadors? Raul Mendoza, abducted, taken away in a van, never seen from again. Well, since then, we don't know how long it's going to go. But never seen from again, as far as we are concerned and, and storyline telling purposes. Joaquin Wilde, after the van, similar, similar automobile. Not sure if it was the exact same. This did happen over a month ago when crowds were allowed in front of wrestling audiences. So my memory's a little fazy. But an SUV or a high passenger capacity vehicle nonetheless. Abducting Joaquin Wilde after rudely interrupting a Mia Yim interview. What's happening with Wilde? What's happening with Mendoza? What happened to Austin Theory? Austin Theory not abducted, but he did find his way up on Monday Night Raw and at WrestleMania, accompanied by Zelina Vega and her ongoing faction with Angel Garza and not pictured there, but Andrade, the U.S. champion as well. Is there an LWO? Is there this major Latino athletic faction coming to the WWE? My guess is yes, my hope is yes, and my deepest, realest thoughts are that Raul Mendoza and Joaquin Wilde become a viable tag team and give themselves that credibility. You take away the bright lights and the flashy gimmick and you make these two, uh, you know, not, not comparing, but just a, just a shift in attitude towards what we've seen elsewhere. Santina and Ortiz come right off the bat. Yes, I'm referencing AEW a bunch on an NXT-driven podcast. What? 
It's like you can have appreciation of a multiple scale of things as a pro wrestling fan. I'm surprised too. But just give them an edge. Give them this sort of a street tough. Give them like, we didn't get what we wanted, so we're taking what we wanted. I don't know if these guys can pull off anything from the South Bronx of New York City because I'm not sure what their situation is in as far as uh, geography and spending any time in the tri-state area is concerned. But Joaquin Wild, Raul Mendoza, not seen since these strange events. Really hoping to learn further as these weeks go on. Main event time. Main event time for the April 1st, 2020 edition of NXT TV. We had a Hoss fight triple threat collision clash between Keith Lee defending his championship against familiar foe Dominic Dijakovic and Damian Priest, who has rubbed not just the champion, but Dijakovic the wrong way as well. Damian Priest using that nightstick to his advantage over a number of weeks as of late, and that would kind of come back to cost some elements of this match. Incredible hoss fight. These three men do things that these men of this size should not be able to do. The athleticism, the agility, the speed, the brute strength coming out of them all at once. Really great triple threat spots here. Again, I really wish I could remember more. I did not rewatch before I sat down at this computer. I got finished with my work shift. I walked my dog and I ate dinner. So, did not rewatch the main events of this week. Although, if we're being... Being a little technical, I guess this was the first match of NXT TakeOver Tampa Bay midweek, so I do apologize for the lack of specific coverage in this matchup. I will say, all the talent respected. Keith Lee making an impact. I really thought that he did not win this matchup this week, folks. I really thought that either Damian Priest would take advantage of Lee and Dijakovic's uh, resurging bad blood towards each other, I thought that Dijakovic might be able to knock out Lee and take down Priest to win the title. Keep that keep a singles rivalry between Priest and Dijakovic running while Keith Lee loses his title without being pinned or submitted and makes his way onto Raw or SmackDown. Initially thinking that is kind of driven by the, uh, the fans being in attendance part of this entire thing because I think Keith Lee's debut should be made in front of somewhat of a capacity crowd just to really feel out that reaction that he would get, especially with that incredible Survivor Series performance featuring none other, some one-on-one competition with the big dog, Roman Reigns. So that's where I thought Keith Lee might not walk out victorious. However, the possibilities in this match were not limitless. The ending comes in but one unique form, and unique is the word of the week of the month of the pandemic in the world of professional wrestling right now. Priest would bring the nightstick back into play. Dajakovic would attempt to hit the feast your eyes, but Priest would intercept with that very nightstick, causing damage to an already damaged knee of Dominic Dijakovic. This would open up a big door for Keith Lee to walk through, and you need a big door if it's Keith Lee going to be able to walk through it. Walking away with the victory after hitting the big bang catastrophe on his former rival, Keith Lee is still the North American champion. Limitless Lee's championship reign does continue. Uh, 
I think it's well-deserved. I think that the North American Championship is meaning more and more with the credible contenders that have competed and earned it. Go back a ways. Adam Cole, inaugural North American Champion. Velveteen Dream, just mentioned a lot of his accolades, beginning of the show. Incredible competitor in his own right. Roderick Strong, one of the best and most endurance-based wrestlers on the entire roster, representing the Undisputed Era's prophecy, holding that very title. We've had a lot of strong players who become main event talents from holding that North American Championship. It has that original intention of the Intercontinental Championship at play here. These guys will hold this title, they'll prove what they can do with some gold, how they carry themselves as a champion, and then they get to see what it's like in the big time. Adam Cole, inaugural North American Champion, now longest reigning ever NXT World Heavyweight Champion. We've seen what Ricochet's done, I guess, around. He had a number one contendership match and faced Brock Lesnar and... Okay, Uh, enough sad thoughts about Ricochet on the main roster. This is an NXT podcast. Just bringing that back, I'll mention Roderick Strong carrying that title to fulfill the prophecy of the Undisputed Era again. And I will end on a high note. Keith Lee, keep him at the top. Keep this North American Championship division, that hoss fight entertaining division that we know and love is right now. That about wraps up the April 1st, 2020 edition of NXT TV. If I missed anything, anything, tweet at me at podcast underscore UF. If you happen to have some NXT questions, NXT TV thoughts going this far back, a little uncommon, but there's always talking points because not everything is covered in a week-to-week basis on NXT TV. So any thoughts on Shotzi Blackheart? Any thoughts on Dexter Loomis? Any thoughts on what Velveteen Dream will do to the Undisputed Era? Or how Keith Lee's North American Championship reign has been displayed and performed so far? Open to any and all conversation pieces at this time. What else have you got going on? I know you're not leaving the house. If you're anything like me, you're sitting around thinking about the endless possibilities in the world of professional wrestling. So please, anything through the month of April... Go back to the first of the month at any point this month and say, hey, Dan, I got a question about this. What do you think of this? Or this is what I think of this. And your opinion matters and is a lot more fun for me to hear than getting asked about my own, to be honest. Because if I'm presented other points of view that I never thought of myself, as opposed to spewing out some other points of view that I can open up some people to, I think there's a lot of give and take there. And I think that all the interaction is more the better especially during these trying times where you got nobody you can just go outside and talk to. If you're anything like me, you're sitting in a room ranting about professional wrestling to your dog before you have a guest on your podcast that is normally a solo operation. Speaking thereof, all right, enough of the horse hockey. Let's let's get Peyton Westner on the line. Let's talk about the April 8th edition of NXT TV. One final beat, Johnny Gargano versus Tommaso Ciampa, ends the ladder match for the NXT Women's Championship number one contendership. I will be right back with Mr. Wessner right after this. All right, Team NXT, I hope you enjoyed that solo rant about April 1st, 2020 and that musical interlude. Now, something that a lot of listeners are not used to, I have a guest 
on the podcast. Yes, the longest reigning independently produced solo NXT podcast does reach out for help sometimes. And during this time of social distancing, I think we all need some human communication. And I can't think of any better human communication than with somebody else who appreciates the NXT product just as much as I do. He puts out his own content. He's a hardworking grad student. Mr. Peyton Westner of Next Stop at NXT Wednesday. Peyton, how you doing over there, buddy? I'm doing great. I'm just thrilled that you didn't butcher my last name, where whether, I, whether I'm visiting family down in Orlando or obviously here going to school in Illinois, everyone butchers my last name, so it was just refreshing that someone got Westner right. So, so we're off to a great start, and I completely agree in this time of social distancing. I cannot think of a better person to have a content of uh, have some conversation about the best brand in sports entertainment in my opinion nxt so thank you so much for having me I, i'm thrilled to be here absolutely man uh appreciate you putting out some fellow nxt contents always looking to talk to my fellow fans and we could not have possibly picked a better week to collaborate with each other my dude because this is what nxt takeover tampa bay has I don't want to say been reduced to, but been modified to on Wednesday, April 8th, and kind of a continuation from that main event on April 1st, 2020. We did have the biggest collision in this rivalry of Johnny Gargano and Tommaso Ciampa. Definitely a lot to dive into on the main event end of things. But April 8th overall, it had just as much of an NXT TV feel, I think, as a regular as a big-time takeover event, we had some character-building exercises with a lot of people, and we had a major women's six-person ladder match to determine the number one contender for what is now Charlotte Flair's NXT Women's Championship. And I kind of teased this at the beginning that we would go into some detail about WrestleMania and all that. But before we go any further, Peyton, any thoughts on April 1st edition of NXT? Talked a little bit before about the re-debut of Dexter Loomis. Talked about that NXT North American Championship uh, triple threat match between Priest Lee and Dijakovic. I talked a little bit about, even though the ladder match happened this week, Shati Blackheart's impressive standing in that gauntlet match for the women's for the women's opportunity to earn that last spot, that last chance into this match. And Kushida versus Joaquin Wilde and all of the crazy antics going on with conquistadors adopting people in uh in the full sale parking lot. Those full sale parking lot, man, dangerous place to be. So just just with that brief summary, uh what what were your thoughts on last week's NXT before we go even forward? Well, just talking about the Full Sail parking lot, I said this in one of my past episodes, episode 20, I don't think I ever want to be in the Full Sail parking lot, even if it's broad daylight. I'm talking new. I, I mean, there, there's just production crates out there, as we saw in the main event of April 8th episode. Everyone's getting kidnapped. Mia Yim just stood by as Joaquin Wilde got kidnapped. I, I, I don't want to be there, and I'm talking any time of day. Uh, other notes that I had from uh, April 1st episode, I really did like the match between Bobby Fish and Velveteen Dream. Uh, How did I forget uh, that with... one? I'm sorry? How did I forget that one? We have the Dream in the psychological warfare with the Undisputed Era. Went on a little bit about that earlier. Yeah. With, with, it, uh, if anyone follows me at PC Westner on Twitter, I, I really like looking back at the statistical side. And one thing I looked back was Bobby Fish's last two singles match, including a couple weeks ago on April 1st, they've both been against Velveteen Dream. So to me, that tells me that those two performers have some great chemistry. 
and Fish is just such a workhorse. As someone who really enjoys watching mixed martial arts, uh, Red Dragon, Undisputed Era, Fish, and Kyle O'Reilly, I just can't get enough of them. And then you mentioned the second chance gauntlet match, and Shotzi Blackheart continuing to emerge as, I really don't know if we should call her a prospect anymore, but one of the top talents in this women's division. Her her eliminating Shayna Baszler in the Battle Royale back in January. She then gets the singles match with Baszler, and now a very impressive performance before Dakota Kai takes her out. So I, the women's division is just so loaded, and I continue to advocate uh, hopefully to see the WWE tag team belts maybe won by a couple of NXT talent. I don't know. Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross, I believe, live in Orlando, so uh, with this time of social distancing, maybe it wouldn't be that big of an issue. I digress. Just such a great women's division. As you mentioned with Dream, his continued exploitation of Undisputed Era and a eventual title match with Adam Cole on the horizon. And then to close the show, uh, I'd be remiss not to say the triple threat NXT North American Championship match between Keith Lee, Dominic Dijakovic, and Damian Priest. Hoss fights in that division for sure. Those guys are so big and should not do those things that they do. Velveteen Dream working with Bobby Fish, I like that you mentioned that statistic because I went on a little bit of a point to make that Bobby Fish is such a, not just in-ring veteran in wrestling, but a combat sports veteran in his own right. So being able to deliver that kind of performance, being able to get the best out of Velveteen Dream with his years of experience between the ropes, I think is very important, not just to continue the rivalry with the Undisputed Era, but to continue the career overall trajectory of the Velveteen Dream. So I think Dream's hanging in there. I, my guess is that we've seen the beef with Roderick Strong. We saw the singles match with Bobby Fish. I think he goes through Kyle O'Reilly one-on-one, and then maybe we get some weeks of psychological warfare before he does get that one-on-one match with Adam Cole for the NXT Championship. Because this is kind of the scene of TakeOver Tampa Bay, but we were not mentioned of an NXT Championship match. I do think that is a couple weeks down the road, and I think that's going to be one hell of a match when we get to it. I never thought about that, thinking back to how he has had the history with Strong, obviously losing the North American Championship. Uh, then they have the, the cage match. Yeah, that, that, that makes a lot of sense to see Kyle O'Reilly versus Velveteen Dream. And Dream, I keep on thinking about his match with Matt Riddle at NXT TakeOver New York. And Dream, he, he's a great seller. And I, he seems to be performing very well with those mixed martial artists or those professional wrestlers, I should say, that have an MMA background. Hard to believe Velveteen Dream is as young as he is. The sky is limitless like our North American champion. Uh, okay. We got April 1st out of the way. A little bit of WrestleMania talk. Just just a little bit. I, I know there's a lot of NXT to cover, but NXT did have quite the spotlight on WrestleMania 36. Rhea Ripley versus Charlotte Flair. Personally, and I love Becky Lynch. I bleed Becky till the day I die. But I do think Charlotte Flair versus Rhea Ripley was the best women's match of this weekend. I'd agree with that. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with that. Uh, I know I think we even talked about it on social media. The, the big thing that left me with an unsavory taste in my mouth with Becky Lynch and Shayna Baszler was the roll-up. And we had saw that at NXT TakeOver Philadelphia with Ember Moon and Baszler, and Baszler's second-ever match in NXT, her first title match, and, of course, her first match with Ember Moon. So that, that just felt like a cop-out in terms of a finish to me. I always loved the unique finishes we see primarily in NXT at NXT takeovers. I feel, uh, NXT takeover Philadelphia, just for some background for the listeners is one of my favorite 
pay-per-views of all time. I am so, sitting on an NXT TakeOver Philadelphia chair at the moment that I got from the TakeOver event. <laughs> hey, how about that? How about that? Could, could be, I mean, this isn't a storyline, but maybe we should make it one. <laughs> but, no, I, and I, I completely agree with the fact that Charlotte Flair versus Rhea Ripley stole the show in terms of women's matches. I couldn't even get into Bailey's title defense. Maybe it was just me knowing if Baylor was in that match, she would run roughshod over everyone. I'm not sure. I, I see this loss for Ripley to be one that can really develop her character, provide her a little bit of motivation, really develop her character arc, something to fight for, because she really hasn't had any obstacles to overcome, I would say. I, I would say humbly, I should should clarify. And the, since she reemerged in NXT, I suppose... Maybe I should just say I'm purged. Uh, because she had some matches. I think Caden Carter was one. Uh, and then she's fighting Shanna Baszler on December 18th. So to me, we need to see Ripley have to go through some adversity and probably come out the other side, either defeating someone who beat, defeats Flair or defeating the Queen herself. Agreed with that, uh... Although Rhea did see her fair share of obstacles, remember the War Games matchup and all the uh, all the crazy chaos that did lead her to finally getting Shayna Baszler one on one. Becky Lynch versus Shayna again. You and I are an NXT audience. We've seen that finish before. We've seen that song and dance go down with Ember Moon, like you mentioned, with Kyrie Sane in the past as well. That kind of finish new to the WWE main roster audience, and it does put over the point that Shane is playing in a new set of rules. It's not a cage fight to knock out her opponent. It's about outwitting and outsmarting them as well. Although, I do see Shayna coming back with quite the vengeance against Becky Lynch. Pretty safe to say that Shayna and Bianca Belair and Rhea Ripley are all on Raw as of uh, as of this point. WrestleMania very promising for, uh, for Rhea Ripley as far as match performance goes. Waiting to see how Shayna Baszler bounces back from this, and also really looking forward to uh, to what Bianca Belair can can do on the main roster as well. Any thoughts on the EST of now WWE's debut with her husband Montez Ford and Angela Dawkins kind of siding with the Street Profits? A little bit as expected, but I think that the charisma all around, the vibe still fits, they're all still a lot of fun, and they can all be taken very seriously as athletic competitors. I'm disappointed to see Belair leave NXT. I know you had said in a past episode, maybe it was the last episode, that you would like to see Belair, if she's not going to become NXT Women's Champion, to maybe get paired up in a tag team with someone who's just as charismatic as her. I kind of had the same thought myself. Now, Belair probably thrives more in a singles role. I don't think that's up for debate. I am sad to see her go. I love seeing the on-screen relationships, or I should say the real-world legitimate relationships on display on screen i can't get enough of seeing montez and bianca just their affection for one another yet i felt like there was there, there could have been an opportunity to see belair and flair one more time but perhaps with some title attached i i really get into those matches that have stakes gargano champa as we're going to get into the one thing it was missing was either hardware or loser the stipulation of loser leaving NXT. I don't know. That That's just me, but she's going to be a great addition, Belair, to that problem as roster. I, hey, I'll take Lynch and Belair all day, every day. I think, Bel- 
Belair is bound to be a star. Hopefully she finds that uh, that championship championship success on Raw that that she didn't find in uh, in NXT because she's too damn talented for uh, for some gold not to be around her shoulder and waist at some points down the road. Okay, covered April first thoughts. Covered WrestleMania. Let's get into this week. Let's get into April eighth, two thousand twenty. Kicking things off, we had what would have been. A Money in the Bank taking place on WrestleMania weekend. It would have been so cool to have a WrestleMania weekend Money in the Bank ladder match again. Remember those? Remember those kids? Remember when Money in the Bank wasn't its own pay-per-view and had its own match during WrestleMania? I do. Oh, okay. I'm glad you do. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting time. Interesting time, my, my, uh, my friend. We had six very worthy competitors going for this one, though. Chelsea Green of the Robert Stone brand. Dakota Kai, earning her way in from the Last Chance Gauntlet match. Mia Yim, Tegan Knox, Io Shirai, and Candice LeRae. Oh boy, lots to... Uh, and you know, when, you, when you're watching this before you see the main events, there's you, you have quite the different feelings of Candice LeRae before and after, personally. Uh, anyway, I love this, this ladder match. I thought it was so incredibly dynamic. I think that Ladder matches in this empty arena scenario, it just really, it literally echoes with how much human pain and suffering and how much collisions are going on. And you just feel for these people that you got to figure during these matches, Peyton, that crowd noise and that adrenaline boost that you're going to get from people reacting to you falling through a table or landing on a ladder. A little bit of that kind of helps you cope with the pain. When you land, when a superstar falls off the ladder and there's nobody around to hear it, they're going to get hurt. They're going to feel a little something. I think on the other. I think on the other side of things. So that's that's just one little psychological edge that uh, that I've been taking into account watching the SmackDown Tag Team Title Match WrestleMania, and my thoughts on this whole thing. Now, that being said, the spots that these women did put themselves through, absolutely incredible. We had that chokeslam powerbomb of Mia Yim and Tegan Knox to Reina Gonzalez, and I want to cover Reina Gonzalez because your thoughts on Reina Gonzalez that I just read on Twitter. Listen to, rather. Absolutely great, great stuff. And I wanted you to dive into uh, to her role with Dakota Kai in just a matter of minutes. And my second spot that I definitely want to bring up is Knox sent through by Dakota Kai. That friendship. To think that just a number of months ago, they were competing for the WWE Women's Tag Team Championships as one of those NXT teams that you and I both mentioned competing for the titles. And now they are at each other's throats like the worst of enemies, like another budding rivalry, possibly in the realm of Johnny Gargano and Tommaso Ciampa. Friendships on the line, lots of bad blood there, lots of interactions in the past. I think that all the ladies showed exactly how tough they are. I don't know how many times Mia Yim can be in a ladder match and just be so damn cool with it because we've seen her take probably the roughest and toughest of the beatings in these ladder match situations. Chelsea Green, I thought, put on a good show. I, I really can't say anything bad about this one, and I am more than happy with the results. Io Shirai would walk away successful in this ladder match, achieving that briefcase, and we will see a match of many impressive moonsaults when Io Shirai takes on Charlotte Flair. Peyton, what would you think of this this incredibly cinematic train wreck? And not the first or last time I'll be using cinematic through the course of, of this uh, of this episode. I mean, it can't be the only time that you use it. Yeah, I thought the cast of talent that they put in this ladder match couldn't really get any better. And I may be even saying that, including 
be including a Shayna Baszler or a Rhea Ripley. I'm not sure what they could have added to this ladder match that we didn't already see. We saw Yim as a brawler. We saw great athleticism in LeRae and Shirai. And then Finesse and Chelsea Green. And I really enjoyed the couple of exchanges we saw between Robert Stone, the aforementioned uh, Raquel Gonzalez. So it, it's, it's really great storytelling. And I see the possibility, as I always say with Battle Royale, the best part is the storylines that splinter off the one match. And I, I see the possibility in the same sort of effect with this. I, I mean, could we see Chelsea Green versus Dakota Kai? I don't see I would take my money. I mean, that would be a fine match. I, I was kind of surprised to see Shirai go over. No, it's nothing. That statement's no indication of her talent. I just, I, for some reason, I had a perception in my mind that Charlotte Flair would want to work with Chelsea Green based on Green's experience outside of WWE professionally. But like you said, there's going to be quite a few high-risk, possibly high-reward moonsaults in that battle of Shirai and Flair. I can't wait. I like the idea of Chelsea Green working with Charlotte Flair that you bring up because as far as stature goes and standing up one-on-one, I think that Chelsea Green's body type and uh, in-ring style might match Charlotte Flair's the best. Lots of aerial expertise we will see out of Io Shirai in this one. And boy, Candice LeRae, rough, rough, strange episode for Candice LeRae sent crashing through a ladder and then crashing through the main events quite, uh, quite literally. Uh, the assists... In this matchup for uh, for each other respectively, Chelsea Green being assisted by Ro- by Robert Stone, and I know I'm dating myself on this reference. I know not a lot of people are going to want to hear this, but the Ellsworth and Carmella dynamic. I think this is exactly how it should have been delivered. I don't think that the guy should have actually took down the briefcase himself, but I like the idea of Robert Stone hyping Chelsea up, getting her to climb, pushing the briefcase towards her, just giving every little bit of edge besides taking the damn thing down for her. And I think in order to uh, to make the women seem, I, I, I don't know, in, independent, for lack of a better word, um, on, on their own and able to stand on their own credibility, I think this is how the male manager should be assisting the spotlighted female talent. And Reina Gonzalez, I heard your, I heard your uh, synopsis on it before, physically carrying Dakota Kai up the ladder. What? I, I, I gotta say, I, I may be barking out I guess, yeah, Reina Gonzalez now, I think it's Raquel Gonzalez, whatever her name is, I don't care. Yeah, she what am I supposed to call her? Because I, I keep flip-flopping on this. I know it's an R name and then Gonzalez. <laughs> I, I think it's Raquel now. I, I think they changed that when she emerged with, De, with De Kai. I was about to say, I don't know what I was about to slur. Maybe I was going to say Dakai instead of Dakota Kai. <laughs> Nevertheless, Raquel Gonzalez, she just, when I see her on the outside of the ring, it, I understand she's probably a little greener than most. She comes from an athletic background that is not amateur wrestling. She was actually a women's basketball player uh, out of Sam Houston State, which is in Texas. And I think that's a very small, it's a mid-major school. I can't remember what conference. I, I always love watching college basketball. That's the only reason I know. Anyway, I, I see her as... I actually edited this from my podcast that I said... Um, well, let it fly here, man. Podcast. Let it fly here. So this may be the most asinine statement. This may be the most asinine statement you've ever heard. I think Raquel Gonzalez could. I kind of get Brock Lesnar vibes now, not from a talent standpoint, but the way she is. She she's just such an enforcer. She has such an imposing presence, such an imposing stature. And I look at the potential matchups and the the size and the muscle that she carries over some future opponents. I just don't see. 
one finisher, whether it's the shiniest wizard from Tegan Knox or protect your neck from Mia Yim, I don't see how that's going to take out Raquel Gonzalez if they portray her as this very maybe Nia Jax-like presence. Now, it's apples and oranges to compare Gonzalez to Lesnar. Maybe Jax is a better comp. I'm really in love with the way Raquel Gonzalez is being portrayed, and if we ever do get a blow-off and a a split between her and Kai, hey, sign me up for that singles match, and let's see where each talent goes respectively from. Maybe a little bit of a Diesel HBK thing going on between uh, Gonzalez and Dakota Kai. I'm always a fan of the Enforcer and the smaller talent, especially when it's this heel dynamic of I'm gonna I'm gonna help you out. You're gonna get all the glory, and then I'm gonna get sick of it and just eventually kick your skull in. Which is possibly where Gonzalez and Kai could head. But as of right now, Gonzalez just assisting Kai, just just rubbing it in Tegan Knox's face, just throwing Tegan Knox all of these obstacles. This is an underdog story. What Tegan Knox has going right now, and as far as that one finisher goes, I absolutely agree with that. I think Gonzalez can be built to that monster force of a Nia Jax in the past, hopefully a safer worker than uh, than what the hot topic on Twitter has been today. Anyway, um, uh, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave that to all the main roster podcasts to discuss. Um, Io, Shirai, Vic- I- <laughs> Io Shirai Victorious here. Candice LeRae sent crashing through a table. Uh, lots of promise in the NXT Women's Division. Shirai versus yep. Charlotte's about to be a about to be a promising matchup. Any other thoughts there? We want to move on to what's happening across the pond, if we will. Yeah, I just want to say about Knox, it's kind of crazy to consider how young she is. I looked this up before the last episode I recorded. She's 25. Ripley is 23. Ripley being 23 blows my mind. Rhea Ripley being being 23 years old blows my mind. Hmm. Oh, Oh, most definitely. And I guess my point is Knox isn't that much older. And if she hadn't gone through so many injuries, specifically with her knees, I don't see any way you can't say she wouldn't be NXT UK Women's Champion. I thought that was actually where they were going to go last fall when she reemerged on NXT UK and got into a little spat with Kaylee Ray. Uh, maybe that's where you can see how she carries a belt. Then again, and I suppose this is kind of out of the picture now with what we're going to talk a little bit a little later with Candice LeRae. I always thought a tag team between LeRae and Knox, I don't see any reason they couldn't carry gold, whether it is the WWE tag team titles instead of just an NXT tag team titles for the women exclusive to the brand. I like the idea of a LeRae Knox sort of lovable underdog story, but uh, unfortunately that might not be a subject we can dwell on. All too much. Something we can dwell on and that we can speculate, Mr. Westner, is what is next for Finn Bauer. Finn Bauer has his eyes set on Walter and the rest of Imperium. And on top of all, the W... Now, is it WWE UK Championship or are we supposed to call it the NXT UK Championship finally? I think we phased everything out because even with the Cruiserweight Championship and Gulak being the, the first technical NXT Cruiserweight champion. Yeah, I think I think we're NXT UK championship now. I think we're allowed I to call know. it... The, I th- I, I've always flip-flopped them back and forth, but I think we're allowed to call it the NXT UK championship right now. So that's what I'm going to stick to. Finn Bauer calling his shot against the ring general, Walter. And not just Walter, but all of Imperium. Imperium, the imposing force. Imperium, who went head-to-head with Gallus. Yeah, three Hoss 
Scots, that Imperium, that's what Finn Bauer wants to take on by himself. He took on Alexander Wolf to, to some success, but can he take on four guys at once? Can he do what I think Velveteen Dream is heading towards and knock out each individual member of a faction before getting to the NXT UK gold? Now, all of this is going to be months and months in advance. We know that NXT UK TakeOver Dublin is in October, still months down the road. Can we speculate on that? Yeah, it's possible. I like to think that the world is going to be in better condition and we'll be able to see that match finally. Finn Balor with the title match in Ireland. Can only imagine what the crowd is going to sound like for that one. I like the fact that we get some NXT UK coverage on NXT. If you're anything like me, you're slacking a little bit on NXT UK, but based on our conversation last night, you might be a little bit more ahead on these types of things. But I like the idea of Finn Balor versus Walter, and I don't think I would feel this way if I didn't see Walter versus Tyler Bate first, if we didn't already get that sort of David versus Goliath match with Walter putting that championship on the line. So I'm very interested in Finn Balor's overall career trajectory right now, ever since coming back to NXT. It's been apples and oranges as far as what he did is, sadly, one day of Universal Championship. I was there for both days of his title reign in Brooklyn. What a hard shot to the heart that was. And uh, since Intercontinental Championship, that's a title reign. I even forgot Balor was holding. And I am a Finn Balor mark. So Bauer getting the spotlight and the heel run that he properly deserves. I think he's in the right place. I am stoked on this rivalry that's budding with Imperium. Bauer, such, such a renegade, huh? Just taking on all four members of Imperium. Something Adam Cole wouldn't even think about doing. Bauer, the first thing that came to mind is we all know eventually Walter, just like everyone in this business, they go out on their back. He's going to eventually lose. Everyone does. Bauer picks up the belt. I don't know if this would be the right decision for business with NXT UK being a separate entity, a separate show, I should say, from NXT proper. Why wouldn't you have an NXT UK, Balor, versus whoever the NXT champion is? And I really wouldn't want to see uh, what we saw with Rollins and Kingston this time last year where you tease it and then it ends up a DQ and we go to that tag match. That's just a big, nasty situation that just leaves you unsatisfied. I don't see any reason why we can't have the two champions from NXT UK and NXT, hey, why don't we have a little bit of worlds collide whenever everything returns to normalcy and travel is possible between Balor and whoever the NXT champion is at the time? Is it Velveteen Dream? Is it my boy Tommaso Ciampa? Is it Killer Cross? Who knows who it is, but it would be a fantastic matchup nonetheless because Finn Balor's in it. Never seen Finn Balor have a bad match. Watch the dude pop his shoulder back in and win the Universal Championship. Will always be a Finn Bauer mark. Finn Bauer took on the namesake of this show for the Universal Championship, so I was an absolute wreck way back in the day. Uh, enough of the nostalgia, though. I cannot wait to see what happens with Finn Bauer. I really can't wait to see what happens to some luchadors, Peyton, because we have our case of abductions that I just want to touch on just a little bit more. I do think that Joaquin Wilde and Raul Mendoza are being groomed to be a part of this budding faction headed by the, the... I don't know if it's mad genius. I don't know if it's just aggressiveness of Zelina Vega. Zelina Vega assembling quite the team of talents as of late. We've seen... I, I blink my eyes. Austin Theory is on Monday Night Raw. The dude is 22 years old, jacked, and competing at WrestleMania because of Zelina Vega. Angel Garza, former NXT Cruiserweight Champion. Going to scoop him up and prove that he's a superior cousin over Humberto Carrillo. That man is in 
WWE Tag Team Championship matchups. Joaquin Wilde and Raul Mendoza promising themselves as a possible tag team entity. I went over this a little bit before, but I do think they need a little bit more of an attitude change. I am not an EDM kid. I don't get it. It's not my subculture. I mentioned this before. I listened to all those bands like Blink-182 and all the pop punk kid stuff that was cool back in 2002. And that will be my taste today. So I do not know what that subculture is about, but the flashing lights and the cool helmet and the DJ whistle, I could see that there's some character to it. Just doesn't connect with me. But the in-ring ability of both Mendoza, prestigious. Joaquin Wilde, very unique in his demonstration, and the kid has one hell of a backstory in his professional wrestling career. Wilde's Mendoza, promising talents. Where do you think they go? Where do you think they're going? What warehouse do you think they're possibly locked in right now? Peyton, what are your thoughts on this whole luchador situation? Well, wherever they are, whatever warehouse they're in, I hope they're enjoying all the little things just to go off Blake 182. I'm a big Blake 182 fan myself. Have it on the workout playlist. I don't know. that. You know what? I never considered... Zelina Vega being behind these kidnappings. I did think, and they teased it at the end of 2019 on the main roster with Humberto Correa versus Andrade. I want to say it was TLC pre-show or maybe the first match on the pay-per-view, whatever. Nevertheless, they did tease a split between Vega and Andrade. I'd like to see it. I don't know if Andrade's English can carry him. I don't know who has better English out of Carrillo and Andrade. Then again, I think Andrade could carry himself as a predominantly Spanish-speaking talent. He has. He could. He he most definitely could succeed. Uh, Andrade was probably the one champion I hated the most in NXT. And so to see Austin Theory get replaced and in a tag team with Garza, as weird as it was, Austin Theory is going to be a star. And I'll say it all day. <laughs> but, but I, I, you know, Wild and Mendoza, like you said, have a lot of potential. And Mendoza has shown it in terms of in-ring since he became a more regular figure on a 205 Live. Uh, he had a couple matches with Leo Rush that really caught my attention. Yeah. So if, if they emerge, I mean, would this kind of be like a second coming of Lucha Dragons? Are we are we getting Sin Cara and Kalisto back together uh, uh, in NXT? I I don't know what it would look like, but I never considered those two individuals ending up in a tag team. And if I had, I didn't think of Zelina Vega being behind us. You have piqued my interest, good sir. Hopefully that's uh, that's what I'm around for. Interesting conversation. That's why people listen. Uh, I think there is something there. I do... Uh... Again, I agree with you. Those Leo Rush matches and uh, Raul Mendoza, not a slacker in the cruiserweight division. If I'm, I'm dating myself with this one again, cruiserweight classic original taking on the Brian Kendrick in that tournament. So Mendoza's been around a while. Uh, crowd that was full on for Brian Kendrick. Mendoza and Kendrick ended up getting Mendoza cheered by the end of that matchup. So that's always stood out to me. He's always been a talent I kind of kept my eye on, wondering where he's going to go and... Uh, I think of all these, oh, they're going to reform the LWO. They're going to do it in WWE, the Latino World Order, in honor of Eddie Guerrero. Let's do this thing. I'm about it. I think that there is uh, that there is something there, and I think that there is something to that Zelina Vega theory as well. Something that there is plenty of evidence of, however, and not just a theory, moving on from the Austin Theory-driven faction at the moment, is Rinko and Sarav, Malcolm Bivens. 
was it Inku Share? Do, do I have that correctly? I thought, I thought, yeah, I'll, I'll go with that. I, I was pronouncing it in, yeah, Indus Share. I'm not sure. I need to go back and listen to whatever Mar Ranallo said. <laughs> I know, I know. There's some sort of. Uh, that there's some sort of Hindu deity behind the name when I actually did Google search it correctly last night. So I know the name has some cool origin. Now we just got to figure out how to properly say it so we can report on it. Let's go with the guy's singles names, though, for the sake of conversation here, Peyton. Rinku and Sarav jumping Matt Riddle by himself because of the current travel situation with the other half of the Bros Awaits and Pete Dunn. Matt Riddle getting jumped by Bivens, Rinku, and Sarav. Intention has having the same intentions against their opponents here tonight, and tonight being, of course, April eighth, and using hyperbole. And uh, when I say that, Matt Martell and Chase Parker, two guys we have seen on NXT television before, and believe it or not, highly touted on on the now R.I.P. Rest in Peace Edge and Christian Pod of Awesomeness. These two men have had connections with the with the two that reek of awesomeness, and I think that that put them on my radar personally right away. I hear their name mentioned by two legends that I've been big fans of. I definitely have some stake in them. I think the offense here that they were able to get in against these two monstrous men, technically sound, smooth as can be, old school sort of vibe and tag team with some athleticism shown, really nice middle ground in the division, but Rinku and Sarav. And the mind that is Malcolm Bivens. If you read Twitter, you don't really need to exaggerate how eccentric this guy can be. I think there's a lot of managerial potential there. I think Bivens being a mouthpiece is going to be entertaining. I think that the presence of these guys is going to be threatening. I do think that we have that sort of gap filled that the authors of pain and that the Viking Raiders have left in these two huge behemoths. What are your thoughts on these two guys' formal in-ring debut? It's in a gray area right now. If they become a a legitimate team, where does that leave others like the Forgotten Sons? The Forgotten Sons at one point, I think it was even last year, they were in the finals of the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic. Now they're they're just sitting at home, I guess. And what about the outliers who were at least at live shows in Florida, the Florida Circuit for NXT? They were paired with Robert Stone. I... I would be down to see Indusher versus the Outliers just to see a little bit of a promo battle between Malcolm Bivens and Rob Stone. All right, Team NXT, due to some unfortunate and unforeseen technical difficulties involving a cell phone and a piss-poor charger, uh, Peyton was cut off in the middle of his last insightful, well, managerial aspects going on in in NXT right now. And I'm not going to point the blame on my technical difficulties, but it might have been that bitch Carol Baskin. Shout out to anybody who's watched Tiger King. Uh... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay, I, I like it, I like it I, I, was, I was literally going to say It's probably good someone did cut me off Because to quote the great William Regal When he always used to do commentary on NXT Whenever the, the play-by-play guy would interrupt him He would say, if I want to be interrupted I'll go home and be with the missus So it's probably good technology cut me off Because who knows where I would have went But let's see where I would have went And I was saying, with this being the era of managers. It's very interesting. 
interesting to me, especially thinking back at NXT history, and maybe you can speak about this. Has, has there ever been so many managers? I mean, even when AOP was running full force, I don't even know if there was another tag team or another singles, uh, I guess another singles competitor, who had a manager. And now we have Robert Stone. Will he ever get back together with the Outliers? I'm not sure. Maybe if Tino Sabatelli ever comes back, is he still dating Mandy Rose? Another question I want answered. But we're going to stay on topic. And yeah, I love what Robert Stone brings. I really enjoy what Malcolm Bivens brings. I think his social media presence really adds something to his character. And I, I don't see any reason why any of their clients, unquote, won't have success. I, I would say Green will be a top contender in the NXT women's division for however long she remains in NXT before moving on to the main roster. And in this sure, this being their NXT TV debut, as far as I know, because I know in the past they've been in dark matches. So to me, this is their NXT debut in terms of ring action. And they performed well, and I can't wait to see what Indusher has next. I don't even know what the next matchup would be. Couldn't tell you, besides uh, them showing dominance over over more teams that unfortunately end up in the spot that Everrise was. We'll have to break down on uh, on what you said. Not sure about his dating status, but I know that Tino Sabatelli was injured last I heard of him. Uh, I don't know how far back in the archives you've gone back to listen, but I went. Uh, I deemed him and Riddick Moss the big money athletes way, way, way back in the day. When, uh, when they were a tag team and, you know, everything that Tino had, whether it was the Maserati, yeah, it was Riddick Moss's too. So I kind of like that uh, that team dynamic there, two former football players. Showing off, I, I kind of liked where they were headed there. I didn't actually know, uh, I mean, the Outliers are a name that you hear over at the NXT house show circuit, something that I really need to find myself back into paying attention to when there is an NXT live circuit. Again, but uh, definitely, definitely some teams to to keep their eye out on. As far as managerial history in NXT, when Paul Ellering was managing AOP, I remember him being the manager of NXT, and I think he only had the spotlight on himself at that point in that role. Um, I mean Enzo, Cass, and Carmella, if you even want to count that, because all three of them were competitors. So that's that's kind of a loose answer to that but I think right now you are absolutely correct that we are in the most active age as far as managers go in NXT and possibly uh possibly across all three brands of WWE and a good pro wrestling manager it's it's a role that I personally miss growing up WCW mouth mouth out Jimmy Hart and a whole lot of other really good ones did stand out to me Robert Stone is doing some great stuff with Chelsea Green I really want to see the brands grow. I want to see the enterprises under Bivens grow. And I think this tag team and uh, the women talents, respectively, are uh, definitely good places to start. Before we jump into main event time, we can backpedal a little bit. Just wanted to know if you had any thoughts on these two topics. Uh, we had Adam Cole cut a promo as beautiful as the setting he was in on uh, on the Velveteen Dream. The Coles, Coles being a champion, if I could borrow a phrase from the other show. For a minute, he's living his—he's living his life. You know, Britt Baker's doing some good work on the other show. Yes, I'm giving AEW credit again on this NXT podcast. What uh, what happens? You know, Wednesday Night Wars—we're supposed to hate everything. No, we're supposed to love professional wrestling. Anyway, uh, Rhea versus Charlotte revisited a little bit. Charlotte dropping the old "the woman makes the title, the title doesn't make the woman," and Rhea thinks that Charlotte was better than expected and possibly better than advertised. So, any thoughts on our current world champion? 
or former and current women's champions, just to gloss over again. Trying to get the well, show back on track a little here. We'd love to see the Iconics back on TV in any capacity at this point, my dude. When you got the resources of the Undisputed Era, and uh, just that's that's a very good point because let's with the landscape since Adam Cole won the NXT Championship, takeovers come and gone, locked inside of War Games, the one-on-one matchups haven't exactly been a prevalent part of his title reign, but he did manage to hold it to become the now longest reigning NXT Champion. Sadly, an honor taken away from the aforementioned Finn Balor but the leader of one of the coolest factions in wrestling history being a longest reigning champion, I do think that that kind of fits. Now, if we're talking longest running anything in the history of NXT, Peyton, we're talking about our main event. The one final beat. The Rebel Heart versus the Black Heart. Johnny Wrestling versus Daddy. It's Johnny Gargano versus Tommaso Ciampa. Supposedly a final beat on this rivalry. In these beating hearts. I love the cinematic treatment. Let's start with the high points. I love the cinematic treatment. I love the intense action. And I love the intense dialogue. The emotion coming from Drake as the referee. Just an even more. Not even subtle detail. But just a really important detail. Showing that. And and this guy competed in CZW. If he's telling you guys to cut it out. Then you know he's, he's seen some shit. He knows what uh. He knows what the human body can go through in a hardcore wrestling scenario. And this is just lights out, door closed, Triple H says you guys are on your own. So many incredible spots. Hard to believe that these guys ever liked each other, never mind loved each other and lived together. What an incredible main event inside the PC, outside the PC, the cinematic presentation. WrestleMania weekend did well. This one did well. Not even sure what... 
it they were all three so good. I'm not even sure what was my favorite of all three cinematic match types put in front of us these past week or so. Really great stuff. Lots of spots we can go into specifically, but just overall thoughts on this main event. I thought it really delivered twists and turns. And honestly, Johnny Gargano in the big landscape of this rivalry and what I have been a fan of for so long, I think the right man walked out as the winner. The means of which he did so, completely surprising. Okay. I, I realized in this match who my favorite out of the former DIY brothers, Champa and Gargano. I always consider myself a Champa guy. I always resonated with his message after he turned on Gargano at NXT TakeOver Chicago. I'm not sure if that speaks more about me than Tommaso Champa as a character. Then again, when Champa goes out for injuries, Gargano became my favorite active talent. And so this matchup, yeah. I think, to me, it would have benefited Champa more because I want to see Champa get Goldie back. I want to see what he has left as NXT champion. Maybe he would have become the longest reigning NXT champion if it wasn't for injury. Probably not. He probably would have lost to Gargano at NXT TakeOver New York. That's likely what would have happened storyline-wise. I don't know. I, I think what... Who we saw in the car after the match, which you're definitely going to get into, I don't see any reason why Gargano needed to win that match for that to be the case. If, that, if that's the next future building, if that's the next future building, I think Champa probably should have went over. And then you can see where is he going to go from here. Is he going to take on the winner of Velveteen Dream, Adam Cole? Is someone from the main roster going to maybe emerge back in NXT, as I am hoping, and that man would be Ricochet, which it doesn't look like it's going to be. I would love to see Ricochet back in NXT, potentially in the World Championship picture. And regardless of what it is, I think Champa, for those reasons alone, that's why I think Champa should have won. I totally respect your opinion and can see why it benefits Gargano just as well. Though. But the way it benefits Gargano right now in 2020, completely different than what you would think would benefit Gargano back in 2017. You would think that he'd scratch and claw and finally get through this as the ultimate underdog. And it all just, you know, butterflies and rainbows at the end of the tunnel with this, with the NXT championship. Something that I thought I was personally going to witness at NXT TakeOver New York. However, like this whole thing has, like Triple H said, destiny and, you know, life... Life finds a way. I'm sure that was Thanos. Um, but Thanos and Triple H dialogue, it, it's pretty interchangeable at times. Gargano walking out of this perceived as a villain is so much to wrap my head around as it stands. Gargano and Candice both being looked at as villains coming out of this? Even more of a mind's F cluster going on inside my head. Because we would... S- we would see the villainous sides of both of them. Johnny Gargano with that steel chair going over, if you will, each and every single surgery that Tommaso Ciampa had. Tommaso Ciampa, A-Reed crashing off the top to the outside, ripping up the ring apron like we saw way back with the uh, street fights, unsanctioned, which, which, whichever one that happened to be. All these, all these names for no disqualification matches just kind of run together. I'm sure you could relate to that as well, but... Just the things these guys have put each other through and on what side of the aisle they've both been able to share. They both played the hero. They both played the villain. I think that this match really showed that, okay, all of that past history, 
Yes, it happens, but right now these guys are both going in there as gray individuals, just as human men who want to settle this vengeance. I wish it was just the two men out there to settle this vengeance because Candace Gorey, Candace Gorey handing Johnny Gargano something at the beginning of this through that car window. Wondering what it could be. I went over this sort of crazy little skeptical rant with you uh, last night. I thought Candice LeRae swiped brass knuckles off of William Regal's desk and Johnny Gargano was going to smack Champa and then plant him somewhere with, uh, I, don't, I don't know, probably the, uh, probably the Ricochet DDT. Swingshot DDT. You mentioned Ricochet. <laughs> the Swingshot DDT on, on, a, on a bare mat. I mean, that's, that's where I thought it was going. I thought it was some knockout tool, but it was just a storyline shift, and apparently my friend Nick agrees with me. And I'm going to go ahead and silence my phone. Candace turns on Johnny. Yes, Candace turns on Johnny. What a low blow to her own husband. She hates her husband? Did Candace LeRae form a black heart in the midst of this rivalry herself? No. We would see a second low blow through the course of this. And a first low blow that wasn't even real. Because it wasn't some foreign object. It was actually a male necessity for combat sports. The key to Johnny Gargano winning is his wife and an athletic cup and then a final fairy tale ending on those bare boards of the mat. Not the ending I expected. The ending I expected and the ending I anticipated and I'm sure I'm not the only one out there. I thought it was going to end on some sort of I'm sorry spot or these two just beat the ever-living hell out of each other that somehow they both hit their heads and Drake just decides to call it. I did not think that we would walk out with a clear-cut winner. And I know that's doubting NXT a little bit because we usually do get successful wrap-ups to storylines. But this one just... Not the way I thought it would end. Not the fashion I thought it would end. Candice LeRae, this whole entire rivalry, at least in the most recent stuff, Peyton. This was, I'm done with Johnny. Johnny has his life. I have my life. I have an NXT Women's Championship opportunity to keep my eye on. I'm done with him. I'm done with Tommaso. They can do whatever the hell they want. And now it's just a complete 180 on that just for the sake of ending thing. I don't know if it's just that Candace wanted this whole thing to end so damn badly that it's just, okay, I'll do whatever it takes for Johnny to put this behind him, which could be a reason to get behind her in this situation. But it's also that she promised so many times that this was Johnny's fight and Tommaso's fight and she wasn't getting involved. I'm just, I'm pretty surprised by the hypocrisy on Candace Gray's part, Peyton. Well, I think that's a great point. And again, it really wouldn't make a lot of sense legitimately for a husband and wife to not be, have some sort of unification on this front, especially when Gargano is fighting for his life against someone I consider, I know he says all the time, the greatest sports entertainer of all time is Tommaso Ciampa. Not nicknamed Psycho Killer for no reason either. Yeah, yeah, I think think he got back to those roots a little bit, just as he did with the war paint at War Games. I think we'll see Ciampa go away for a while. Maybe just as not necessarily running off TV for an injury, maybe just to give him a little rest because that was a brutal beatdown. Even if it was taped a couple weeks ago, man, I got to think he could be feeling something. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's very hypocritical that LeRae and Gargano, you know, especially with LeRae, but you made the point about Gargano, he always claws and fights for everything. 
concern or never got away with anything in any of the Andrade NXT Championship matchups or even the, the non-title matchup. Here he is kind of going against the Johnny Gargano way. The Johnny Gargano way nowadays means something apparently completely different than uh, than what we once thought as I sit here in an NXT TakeOver Brooklyn 2 t-shirt and I'm not sure how much you know the story, but the Revival vs. DIY changed my life and that's why I sit here with a with a microphone today just being able to speak to what an incredible match that was and this whole this whole process just knowing that, man, that match was too good to not discuss it with somebody. So Gargano's builds has always been on my radar. It's always been something that's I've been drawn to. DIY as a as a team, I was always into, but there was just something about Johnny, and my favorite wrestlers have always been underdogs. Rey Mysterio is my all-time favorite. Dan O'Brien, one of my guys. Johnny Gargano, just all these. I'm not the biggest guy, so I relate to them just getting in there, scratching corn and fighting. Even in my own karate fighting martial arts uh, experience, you use those smaller guys to kind of motivate you and, you know, I can do this damn thing. That's not the idol that we saw walk out of this performance center. Who we saw walk out of this is a weasel who screwed over somebody once considered a best friend, but at the same time, that best friend didn't think twice about doing the same damn thing to him over the past of the three years. Grand scheme of things, Champa spent more time in this as the villain, so the hero walking out on top, yes, but delivered in a way that nobody would expect. And whether Johnny's the hero right now, completely up to the viewer. Like you said, perspective on Tommaso Ciampa absolutely changed over the past number of years. You watched that Blackheart documentary on the WWE Network. I dare you not to shed a tear when he's holding his daughter. But looking at this in the kayfabe lens that I like to keep this show, I do think that the hero walking out on top and Johnny being successful here was important. Was it the way that I would have done it? No. Was it the way that anybody thinks it would have ended? Was it the time that anybody expected this to go on and still be continuing? In April of 2020. No. This is supposed to be wrapped up at last year's WrestleMania. I was supposed to see it and be selfish about seeing the ending of this rivalry, damn it. But we got it. It happened. Johnny Gargano victorious. Johnny bringing up the family failure. And the man and the husband. And you suck as a father. That's where you see that edge and that heel of Johnny Gargano come out. And that was one of the more unexpected parts of this matchup as well. The verbal attacks by Johnny on Tommaso and making them so personal. Ending the way it did, unexpected, this rivalry, instant classic in the NXT history books. Uh, 
There's that small part of me that wants to go back and just document each and every chapter of this rivalry. Uh, maybe in the upcoming Patreon that I've been talking about for three months or so. Maybe we'll do some callbacks and watch-alongs and all sorts of fun things like that. Uh, that Willow is going to thank me for this line. I don't know how I didn't talk about that already, but I'm just noticing this here on my notes. What a what a sinister piece of dialogue by Johnny Wrestling. I want an uncensored version of this match. I want to hear oh, yeah. some of the expletives <laughs> Chample was dropping. Because one of my big takeaways was, in terms of the verbal exchanges, Gargano won. Gargano won the battle in terms of verbal bars. But did Chample slip some things in there that had to be bleeped out? Thank you, USA Network. I don't know. I'm, I'm wondering. I know, I know he slipped some things in there, and I'm very curious... To, I can only wonder, I should say, what expletive, what choice expletives he threw at Gargano in the heat of battle. I know there was a keeper effing name out of your mouth in there, and that's yeah. the one that was like, whoa! That's that's one that makes you sit up on the couch a little bit extra. Psycho killer at his best. Absolutely. And we saw nothing short of psychotic in this one. Inside the PC, outside the PC, the... The dangerous luggage outside that you mentioned earlier. These guys were throwing everything everything at each other. Fights on top of semi-trucks. I don't know how I feel about those. I think I, I think... They're in right now. They're in right now. We saw that go down with Edge and Randy Orton also. I mean, yeah, it adds a little bit of a different surface for these guys to land on. But just the work of, oh, I'm going to chase this guy up a truck. There's, there's something that takes me out as far as all that's concerned. But any environment... I'm sure there was something supposed to different happen there if they were form, form, formally fighting in an arena. Hubba bubba bubba. So, I think there were uh, there were a couple things that were improvised and changed around, so uh, I think that truck spot was there just for the sake of time. I think that the one thing, that a couple things missing were, I would, you know, this is in an ideal world where we have a crowd and we have more of Ronaldo calling the last chapter of Gargano versus Champa because I think that that his voice needed to be the lyrics behind this behind this song, but no commentary. It was also done in a brilliant way because of what you said, the dialogue and the expletives and the major bombs being dropped from one side of the ring to the other. And you have to think that that being a big part of this match has to come back to Triple H because I saw a report that Triple H really advocated for AJ Styles and The Undertaker to talk a lot, trash talk, bring some dialogue in their Boneyard match at WrestleMania on the first night, WrestleMania 36. I have to think Triple H told Johnny and Tommaso the same thing, and that's why we had such great verbal back and forth. If that, like the Boneyard, again, this is if you believe everything you read, but if anything like the dialogue of the Boneyard match was true in Gargano versus Champa, improvised stuff, too. So able to just take that liberty of telling that story through dialogue as well as in-ring action. Brilliant piece, and uh, as I say every week, thank you, Triple H. Uh, Air raid from the top rope to the outside. Tables, chairs, fire extinguishers. These guys hit each other with everything that was not nailed down, but Johnny nailing a fairytale ending after a low blow by Candice LeRae to Tommaso Ciampa would seal the victory and a long walk to the car for Mr. and Mrs. Wrestling. But on that long walk to the car, Mr. Wessner, we saw what I thought at first was, okay, I'm seeing shit, there's going to be lights, and there's going to be reflections, and this thing is being shot at nighttime, so I'm going to, you know, we're all going to see some things. But thanks to the internet, and thanks to the in-depth detail that 
Oh, shout out to Big Gold Group, by the way, because they were the first group I uh, had this conversation with about whether there were people sitting in that Dodge Challenger. I was incorrect. It was not just lights and a reflection. It was the source of the apocalyptic-looking videos we've seen on NXT the past number of weeks. The who-knows-what-he's-going-to-be-named-now, Killer Cross, and Scarlet Bordeaux. Now, I know the barest of bear behind Killer Cross. I know a little bit about the TNA impacts, wrestling, whatever we're supposed to call it, run now. I know he's a powerhouse. I know he's a force. I know that he probably outkicked his coverage with the beautiful woman around his arm. No, I'm, I'm of course, being facetious there. The man is jacked out of his face. But Killer Cross and Scarlet, can, can we have a couple with this sort? Let's go based on just the promo videos. Let's go in the mindset of, I know nothing about this character, but all I see are doomsday videos. And let's draw the conclusion that this is who they're hyped for. This is who we're going to see. Sitting ominously in a car, staring down another power couple of NXT wrestling, where Johnny's character is in the state that it's in. Do we have a debuting babyface monster with an extremely hot woman around his arm? Do we have... Killer Cross coming in and just mowing down everybody despite what your, you know, quote-unquote character alliance might be. I don't know what Killer Cross's impact on NXT is going to be, but let's draw what we can from the conclusion of this matchup. We'll see some interactions against Johnny and Candice. Where do you see this going? How do we debut this character successfully? How do we show the monster that this guy's reputation has and make sure that it's that it precedes him? You get hung up on stakes, my dude, because this is pro wrestling. Pro wrestling is driven by what's what's at stake during a matchup. So I'm I'm never going to fault you for for that. But I want to go back to your first points. So you think Cross and Scarlet waiting in the car? Okay, Johnny left. Tommaso's stuck in there by himself. 
let's be the vultures. Let's let this big behemoth pick the bones of an already beaten and broken down Tommaso Ciampa. Let's see if any footage of Tommaso Ciampa getting destroyed by this big man sparks any... I, let's, let's call it remorse. Let's call it sympathy. Let's, let's call it some sort of feeling from Johnny Gargano towards his former friends in the form of this big, huge monster. Okay, it's, it's like dealing with a younger sibling. I'm allowed to punch him, but the second that you do, I'm going to stick up for him. So there's, there's, a, there's a lot that could possibly break down from there. I do like the speculation that Cross and Bardot were not there for Gargano and Candice, but were there to see what the outcome of this was and take advantage of a situation that was left for them. So I want to definitely, definitely praise you on, uh, on bringing that up. I want to praise this entire week's worth of wrestling. WrestleMania absolutely surpassed my expectations. A missing takeover event on a WrestleMania weekend. Huge bummer getting it during these past couple of weeks, week and a half, if you want to take that second half of NXT last week and this entire edition of NXT this week as a takeover. I think there is perspective there. I think that, uh, I think we had one hell of a way to adapt to the current circumstances. I think that everybody needs an escape and the fact that pro wrestling is still going is definitely welcome, but I do wish the performers and athletes all the safety and really hope that there is time to maybe put things on a back burner and let's get these people home to, uh, to enjoy the safety that we all deserve during these trying times, because as far as wrapping things up and keeping us on edge and a cliffhanger of an ending, if they said that NXT was going to suspend just for a little while, I wouldn't be opposed to that as a fan. I'd still find a way to talk about something. But I do think that we are moving towards debuting superstars, new divisions, going back to the tag team division. We got Monsters. We got uh, we got the Forgotten Sons getting a face turn, if you recall their last appearance on TV. We got this women's division now spearheaded by Charlotte Flair. Shotzi Blackheart working her way through the ranks. All six women in the ladder match. Promising to keep keep possible contenders as Charlotte Flair goes as well. And what's going to happen with the Undisputed Era and the Velveteen Dream? The landscape of NXT wide open right now. We are in that crucial post-WrestleMania building period. Peyton, what do you got your eyes on right now as we start to wrap things up here? of some of these storylines. One of the reasons I could not get into 
triple threat match for the North American Championship between Lee, Dijakovic, and Priest on April 1st was because I had no I had no doubt Lee was going to retain. And it's because if Lee's going to lose, I feel it has to happen in front of a live audience. Just as though when Flair loses, it's best served when it happens in front of a live audience because Flair gets the heel heat. With Cole, you could see a title switch. You're, you're probably going to have a title switch eventually. And that is something I really look forward to seeing. Can we start to speculate as a fan, as a viewer, what, how this current landscape of social distancing and no fans in the PC and at shows, how is that going to affect how storylines are written? Because one thing I would like to close with, and you, it's, it's actually one of your past points. When we were talking about how many title defenses Adam Cole has had, and the multi-man matches in which no stakes were on the line. We're talking Worlds Collide against Imperium. We're talking War Games against Team Champa. I believe, and this is personal speculation, and this is what I do on my podcast. So if you're not in, if you're not down with that, I guess I have two words for you. Uh, but I, I guess I think Drew, we were going to see Dream as NXT champion a little earlier if he wasn't hurt. And that's why we saw all those non-title matches Cole was involved with, because he probably wasn't meant to be champion. I don't know. That's a personal theory. And I think the same type of logic or speculation is encompassing my mentality at this moment, because how is COVID-19 going to affect wrestling storyline and what we, who we see as champion this time next year? Who knows? I like that point because I think Lee losing the championship should happen in front of people because I think his debut on Monday Night Raw or SmackDown needs to happen in front of people as well, especially after that incredible performance at Survivor Series. So I think a lengthy North American championship reign is going to solidify a successful debut on whatever brand he does end up on afterwards. And like like a point you and I were discussing, we've seen Dijakovic, Priest, and Lee share a ring together. Let's get some new hosses in that division and, you know, some new blood on that championship. The North American title has been doing what it's supposed to do, though. We've seen a lot of successful champions hold that, go on to the NXT title picture, and it's serving the same purpose that the Intercontinental Championship once served. And I think that's perfect traditional dialogue that pro wrestling should show in its title reigns. Not going off on the North American Championship scene, though, NXT title Velveteen Dream could possibly, probably be the one to take it from Adam Cole. But anything that the Dream does needs a spotlight, and it needs an audience. So, who knows when uh, when that's going to happen. Are we going to hear from the Dream on the April 15th edition of NXT TV? I hope so. I think the number one contendership in the NXT Championship needs to come back into the spotlight, considering that we did just wrap up one of the longest saga rivalries in not just NXT, but WWE history And, of course, there's always that for now in parentheses because no rivalry is truly over in pro wrestling, as we know. And no friendship is really over either because I've seen Triple H and Shawn Michaels beat the piss out of each other back in 2002 and form DX in 2006. So anything's possible. I'm here to talk about it. Peyton's going to be here to talk about it as well because this is not the first or the last time that we are going to be discussing NXT together. Mr. Westner, I want to thank you for your presence here, my friends. Uh, Thank you for filling up one of the longest episodes I've ever done of this show. We are going on an hour, 36 minutes and counting. So thank you for providing not just me with entertainment, putting this thing together. Thank you for putting together some more entertaining NXT conversation for Team NXT to go ahead and listen to. Of course, I I am so appreciative 
DM personal messages on Twitter as well as this conversation. I'm so appreciative for your time. If anyone wants to check out my podcast, go ahead and you can go to Twitter and follow at PCWESNER at PCWESNER. That's my personal account. I always enjoy conversation with the wrestling community. And my podcast is called Next Stop with Peyton Wesner. And that Twitter handle is at NXT Wednesday. They need to start churning out a little more of this day in NXT history content. But hey, I love this. I don't know if I love NXT as much as you because you've been watching it a lot longer than I, I can admit. <laughs> but uh, always glad to be in the same sentence, my friend. Always a pleasure. Dude, keep up the this day in NXT history because those are those are my favorite tweets that hit the timeline because I get nostalgic. I remember exactly where I am when you post these incredible moments of NXT television and takeovers. Follow him at PC Westner. Follow at NXT Wednesday for next stop. You'll see some great clips on Twitter. Some really you you've had some you've had some fairly good guests giving you feedback on there. I'm not going to spoil any names, but a lot of good members of the wrestling community have been on Peyton's show. If you're complaining about the characters on wrestling Twitter, you just don't know where to look because there's plenty of good people in the wrestling community. Like I think the two of us are. Please follow this show at podcast underscore UF. The Instagram is undisputed future podcast, all one word. Haven't put out as much content over there as I have, but I'll definitely get a preview picture up for this episode, as well as pictures of Colin, the Velveteen Dog, wherever in the house he may be at this point in time. Uh, check out the Facebook. I mean, the Facebook is there. It exists. I'm not very active on it, but uh, keep giving me the views because I know those keep on going up. And thank you for listening, no matter where you happen to be doing so. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, my personal podcasting platform of choice Spotify, which Peyton's show is on, but mine is working on getting there. I think I tried too early in their podcasting spectrum and uh, they just weren't ready for a show not as popular as uh, some of the ones hosted by actual wrestlers, but fan-driven conversation and discussion. We're here for all of your NXT content. Thank you to Peyton once again for joining me. Thank you all for listening. This will not be the last episode I put out in April The motivation is here. The crisis that we're experiencing. People want wrestling content. I know my time has been spent listening to pro wrestling podcasts while I'm working from home. So I'm hoping to make that same contribution back to you guys. I'm CD Danny Mac. This has been Peyton Westner. I will talk to you guys next time. Stay safe, wash your hands, and keep watching wrestling.